Hello and welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast where I positively encourage my guests to talk with their mouths full. Now, before we begin, you need to know that this is, without doubt, the rudest Out to Lunch episode to date. There are myriad expletives and chat of a very adult nature from the outset. So can I politely suggest you move into another room or listen on headphones if you're in the company of those it might not suit? If there are kids around, stop listening now. I said now. Right, jolly good. In this episode, I'm joined by an actor with a staggeringly impressive CV. She's worked with the likes of Barbara Streisand, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Leonardo DiCaprio. She's worked with everyone. She played a Puritan in comedy classic Blackadder. Oh, the irony. Professor Sprout in the Harry Potter films and has been directed by both Scorsese and Lerman. Today, I get to look beyond the provocateur with the aforementioned potty mouth to the vulnerable and sensitive sides of the brilliant talent that is Miriam Margulies, who, for the record, I've known since I was a kid, and as you'll hear... Well, that made for an interesting childhood at times. So really, not just standard Miriam interview, if there is such a thing. In this chat, we go, well, pretty much everywhere. But it's just funny that even though I'm now 80, and I don't suck people off anymore. Anyone, sorry for Are those days past? <laughs> yes, it's over. The fellatio days are it's over. over. <laughs> <laughs> So Miriam has a few dietaries, doesn't eat pork, doesn't eat shellfish or red meat. So I had a bit of a think and I decided to bring her to Maison Francois, which is just off German Street in um, St. James's, Piccadilly. Um, It's a French restaurant which does a brilliant list of French classics. And then I told Miriam where I was taking her and she went, oh, I don't like French food. Well... I think she will like this. Uh, in fact, I'm very, very confident of it. Uh, it's a terrific restaurant, only been open a little while, and I think we're gonna have a great lunch. Let's get inside. Hello, darling. Hi, how lovely to see you. Thank you. So, Miriam Margulies, darling. Go for it. <laughs> I want to tell you my very first memory of you. So here it is. It was a Sunday lunch, I was 13. And you'd come over to my house for lunch. And it wasn't a special thing, as in, it was special, you were there. But it wasn't like lots of other people there. It was just the five Rainers, my brother and sister and me, Claire, my mum, Des, and you just came over. You sat down at the table and you looked under the table and you said to my brother, darling, you have enormous feet. Have you got a huge cock? I knew it was going to be something like that. (laughs) I'm so appalled when I hear what I've said to people. Oh, no, it was brilliant. Did he mind? Well, I seem to recall he said yes, as a matter of fact. I want to tell that story for two reasons. One, because I think that places us in context. It's not like we go back a bit. Um, And two, because some people might think you've become the outspoken soul, the honest. In your, your, are we allowed to say dotage in your senior years? You know, you just turned 80. But no, you've always been like that, haven't you? I've always been foul-mouthed, fascinated by the nether regions, <laughs> longing to talk about fucks and cunts and all the rest of it. I can't help myself. It's just a natural rudery and daring. And also, I truly think it relaxes people because they're so united in a, being appalled. No, it's all... I mean, I can't help it, and I know that... It does upset some people, and that disturbs me because I really don't want to, but there is such a thrill in getting an absolutely unrehearsed reaction. 
And when people go, you, you know a, a bit more about them. Was that line completely off the top of your head or was it one you think you'd used before? I've always heard that people with big feet had big cocks. Because my acquaintance with cocks is limited, um, I, I always ask. The thing is, it's not that limited, though. I mean, in, in, in later adult life, you've told stories about, you know, drawing up next to an American soldier on your bike when you were a student at Cambridge and inviting him. I think you said, oh, you know, would you like to come back to my rooms and I'll blow you? And then there's the soldier up a tree. Funnily enough, I'm having to revisit all these stories because I'm putting them in my autobiography. Not because I want to, but because I think I, people will expect it, you see. Miriam, this is Francois. Hi, Hello, darling. You. Nice to meet you. Is this the menu? This is the menu. Oh, right. Get into it. A special today of wild sea bream for two people with a Provencal sauce, which is uh, tomatoes, olives and capers, and that comes on the side. What else do you want to know? I like the, the idea of this special. The... Well, should we do that for the main course? Yeah, I think that sounds lovely. And can I suggest some other, other things? I'd, I'd love you to. All right, how about the leek vinaigrette? Yes, Which is a definite. classic. Do you mind chilli a little bit? Or... Love chilli. Oh, and oh. I love carotte râpée. All oh, right, the carotte râpée. Um, how about the cabbage with anchois, breadcrumbs and chilli? That's lovely. Celeriac remoulade? Yeah. Yeah. How lovely. I feel I know you. And you do know I me. do know you. you. Do. And I, I sat and I watched, there's a 45-minute compilation of your best moments on the nine episodes of Graham Norton that you've done. Um, but it was just more intrigue at the way you take such huge pleasure in the telling of the stories. It's a performance piece. Yes, it's it's acting, and it's partly because I just love an audience. And I that's just something that's in me. It's a natural show-off. There's one, and I remember this, and it was either at some party or on a set, Patricia Hodge, who I know is an old, old friend. Yes. Uh, and mine too. Um, and the producer, Esther Charkham, Esther is a producer of old, produced Robin of Sherwood and, and many other things. That's right. And they were discussing blowjobs and they wouldn't let you into the conversation. They said, Miriam, you won't know anything about this. And you, you said, yes, I would. Just ask Arthur Mullard. So uh, uh, well, <laughs> I actually never sucked off Arthur. Um, he did ask many, many times. Did he? Yes. Yes. But, um, is that flattering or was it just Arthur Mullard and we shouldn't make light of another time when showbiz stars of the 70s were doing well, that? Well, I think you'll have to get my autobiography to get the Oh, is that story picture. in there? It's in there. The beginning and the end as well. But no, I, I was being naughty to. Because you see, in a way, I shouldn't talk about the people I've sucked off because it's not fair. I mean, if you're if you're a man, you're not supposed to talk about the, the women that you've entered, and and I'm not supposed to really, and so I I feel that it's a bit unfair. But you know, he was pestering me slightly, um, because he thought it was okay to to do so. But it's just funny that even though I'm now eighty. And I don't suck people off anymore. Anyone, sorry for Are those days past? <laughs> yes, it's over. The fellatio days are it's over. Over. <laughs> uh, 
you said there's no point writing your autobiography because there's no point unless you can tell the truth and if you tell the truth, you might hurt someone. That's, that is true, and I did say that, and I still worry about it. But um, Did they offer you an enormous amount of money? Yes. Yes, OK. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted <laughs> They did, and, and then I thought that there might be a way of of doing it so that I didn't hurt people. The, the person I'm most concerned about is Heather, who is my partner. And um, I said to her, look... You've been I... together since 1968, haven't you? Yes. That's a long time. It and is the a long reason time. that we've been together is because we don't live together. She lives in She lives Amsterdam, in Holland. In Amsterdam, yeah. Yeah. And I live in London. This is a slightly indelicate question, but you've been together since 68, and yet you've talked a lot about sex. Was it an open relationship? No, it wasn't. My sex life is really quite, quite vocal, but it's not... <laughs> it's more in the telling than the it's doing. It's more in the telling than the doing. There's your wine oh, There is wine. In. Coming in. How did you meet my parents? I always wanted to meet her because she was a glorious person, as you know. Yeah. And then, having met her, I asked her to, to come to something very like this, to a, a Ken Lo Chinese New Year do in, in Gerrard Street somewhere. Yeah. And she came as my guest. I think our starters are arriving. So here we go, that's the Celeret Ramelade. I will move that closer to you. Oh, look at that. Leeks oh, under a little snowfall of breadcrumbs. I, I love leek vinaigrette. I, one, I do too. It's one of those classics that doesn't turn up enough. As is Celeret Ramelade with some fantastic looking caper berries. And our baked cabbage with anchois. Thank you. Bread. Can I go all the way back? Mm. Your childhood, you've talked incredibly fondly about your parents. Uh, your dad was Scottish. Born in, in the Gorbals. Um, was he Jewish? Everybody was Jewish. Definitely. And how, and your, and your... I mean, I should have been born in, you know, in Golders Green or something, but I... Yeah, how did they end up in Oxford? Was there much of a community? The car was being repaired there when they were bombed out. Oh, really? Mm. So what, they, they'd gone to collect the car and the house had been bombed, so they thought, well, we'd better stay here then? They were in the house when it was being bombed. Was that in London somewhere? Mm. Was it a very intimate, tight relationship? Yes. Yes. There was just us three. Did they want other kids and it not happen? or No. They, they got you and thought, well, we can't improve on this. Mummy actually wanted an abortion, and some would say she had one. <laughs> <laughs> you went to Cambridge at the same time as, you know, the bright lights of the, the footlights. Did you have to audition for John Cleese and Graham Chapman and all yes. of that? Because they were they a year or two above you? Is that how it worked? That's how it worked. You had to audition. And when I was at Cambridge, you, as a woman, I couldn't be a member of the footlights. Oh, well, that, that's pretty blunt, isn't it? I think the first woman member was Jermaine Greer. You couldn't be a member. You could be invited to to join a cast, but you weren't a member of the club. It was a club. It was a private club. And it was limited to, to men. Do you remember seeing the, these, these men and thinking, oh, you are actually good, you're funny, you're clever... Um, and you're going to go places. I was a bit in awe of it. Um, but I didn't like them personally. You know, it was sort of awkward. I had one 
slightly odd experience with Humphrey Barclay, who was in the show with me. Humphrey Barclay became head of light entertainment for one of the independent um, television channels. Was it for Thames or LWT? LWT, I think. Right. It was a very important figure in British comedy, wasn't it, at that time? Very. Yeah. And he employed them all because they were very good. And I met him on the on the station. I'd been to Pebble Mill. In Birmingham? Mm. Birmingham Station. I hadn't seen him for years. And I said, oh, Humpy, how amazing, good to see you. And he said, oh, have you been doing something up here? And I said, yes, um, I can't remember what it was. I said, I'd love to, to talk to you a bit, hear how things are. And he looked slightly uncomfortable and said, well, the thing is, Miriam, I'm, I'm travelling first class. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, oh, goodness, Humpy, so am I. <laughs> There is a... And I'm going to throw another one of your stories back at you, and you'll tell me whether this is true, and I won't name the person involved, that you'd been on set filming something with an actress, I think it was the actress, or it may have been the director, and you hadn't got on very well. You'd had a terrible day. And you, at that point, tended to re-record your outgoing voicemail message. Oh, yes, that is true. <laughs> Do you want to tell this story? or? Yeah. Why not? It was doing Cloud Nine at the Royal Court. The Carol Churchill play. Mm -hmm. We're talking serious drama here. Oh, yeah. It, it was about colonial stuff. And Max Stafford Clark, the director, who is a complete shit, by the way, brilliant director, but we, absolute uh, uh, I'm pretty clear that we don't have to uh, edit that out or take any legal advice, because that's been in the public prints, so carry on. She accused me of being an intellectual snob, because... Max had got somebody to talk to us about the colonial service, who was Indian civil service. But the civil service that was under scrutiny in the play was the African civil service, and they were completely different kinds of people. And I said, you know, if we're going to get someone to talk to us, let's have it accurate. And she said, oh, God, Miriam, you're such an intellectual snob. What bollocks. And I was annoyed. And so I went home, I recorded a message and said, you know, today's Thursday, I'm going out shopping. But you did um, this regularly, you, you re-recorded your outgoing voice uh, answer phone message a lot, didn't yeah. you? To reflect how your day had been. Every day I did it. I said, I'm going to the theatre in the evening where I will have the misfortune to work with one of the most unpleasant actresses I've ever worked with. Please leave a message after the beep. And... People rang in to hear it. Unfortunately, she rang in. She rang to warn me that if I didn't remove it, she'd sue for damages in the courts. She'd spoken to her solicitor. Did you have to put a, an apology on your outgoing message? Yes, then I had to re-record. Because I rang my solicitor when she said that. And he said, look, I don't know whether a, whether an answering machine is private or public, but if, if you know, if don't bother to take the risk. But it does seem a totally... Miriam's story it's that you you know that thing where you say you find it easier to say that sort of thing than other people would well I was angry I thought bugger it I'm not going to let her get away with that better out than in Become... can I fart there thank I you did we get that Paul yeah good
Hi there, I'm Ollie. I'm the executive producer on Out to Lunch. And this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Imagine you had the time it takes to have lunch. Gifted to you each day, an extra hour. What would you do with that time? For me personally, after listening to Out to Lunch in a swanky new restaurant, I'd love to spend more time actually sampling the food there myself. Now, a lot of us wish we had more time. But in reality, if something is really important, then we make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. It can help you clear your head and take control of your life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Plus, it's entirely online to save those precious minutes. With over a 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash out to lunch. That's betterhelp.com slash out to lunch. Where did the, did you hone the facility for accents and voices and? I think you have to have a gift for it. And I do. And all my early life, I heard so many different voices. My father was born in Scotland, and mummy was born in Liverpool and then went to London. And in Oxford, all the refugees from Europe came. So I heard all these different sounds. You know, and they were always, they tried to speak English because they don't want to speak German. It's. They, they love the language, but what happened to them was so terrible. The, how can they speak it? You Were these refugees from from the Holocaust? From the Holocaust. Yeah. yeah. Did, did a lot come into the Oxford Jewish community? A lot. Mm. I do hone it because I listen. And I get people like Joan Washington and Tim Monick to help me. Who are they? Are they voice coaches? Yes. Joan Washington is sort of number one in England, married to Richard E. Grant. Oh, right, OK. Who was the literally the very first guest on Out to Lunch. He's um, someone who makes life better. I would entirely all those agree. around him. He sniffed everything. It was great. Sniffed everything? Oh, he, he sniffs everything. He, he has a, an always compulsion to smell whatever's around him. Has he never come and sniffed you? <laughs> Probably wisely, no. <laughs> <laughs> you moved to L.A., yeah. And um, you described yourself as being part of Norman Lear's stable. He was. Uh, yes, okay. well, he was kind enough to pay me a huge amount of money just to be there and do nothing. And so that was gorgeous, darling. Thank you. So, how did America come about? And what year did you go to live in LA? I think it was 1986. And how long were you there for? Well, on and off, I was there for 16 years. I had a flat there for 16 years. Where was it? In Santa Monica. I just find the... Uh, I, I've always found the idea of you in Los Angeles a bit strange. As though... <laughs> I find it a bit strange, looking out the window and every afternoon looks like Saturday afternoon. You eventually did six episodes of a sitcom called Franny's Turn. Only five of which ever went out. You were playing an American. I was playing a Cuban-American. <laughs> of course you were. This woman had, I think, been born in Staten Island. So she sounded more New York. And I was a kind of 
I was a feminist with an unreconstructed husband. Okay. To frame it, was this meant to be the big American show for you? Well, I suppose it was. It, it was a failure. Um, and I didn't mind that much. I don't like comedy very much, so I don't really know. Which is hilarious for did. someone who's so basically funny. I don't feel basically funny. I mean, I like to laugh, but I don't like anything that that's supposed to be funny. I think funny, funny things happen out of the air. I have another memory of, uh, and this is again from Claire, when she said that in LA you'd gone into the closet. I was pushed in by my agent. She said, don't talk about yeah, being she gay. She said, don't, she said, I don't care who you sleep with, but don't talk about it. Don't talk about being gay. And so I didn't because I wanted to get on and people did have a problem with it. But it didn't stop me from talking about it to friends. And it's still in existence. And at that time, I think probably Jodie Foster was the only person that people whispered about. I think that you have to work out who you're going to tell. What does it mean to them? Are, are you prepared for your own indulgence to hurt your parents, for example? To wound them so much. If I, I, oh, you did I, tell your parents, didn't you? I did, and I regret it. When did, I regret when, it. When did that happen? Well, as soon as I found out. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, Danny, I, I've got something to tell you. I didn't know that I was gay, and then I, I met a girl when I was at work in Leicester, in Rep. I was actually seduced. I mean, it's rather... Nice to think that I was seduced. I, I'm so glad I didn't seduce anyone. Uh, is it not fair to describe that as leaning heavily on a very open door? No, it isn't. It, it, it isn't fair because it's not something I would ever have done. All right, okay. Off my own bat, so okay. to speak, I would never have kissed or laid a an, a, um, a carnal finger. But I wouldn't have done that. I would have been afraid of rejection and I would have been too shy in that sense. No, I was seduced and, and it was wonderful and thank God I was. And as soon as it happened, I, I rushed to tell my parents because I told, my, well, my mother, I told my mother everything. But she was utterly, utterly distressed. And then she told my father and he was equally utterly distressed. Was it worth it to me? No, not really. I, I, I regret it. So I think that telling people things that they cannot bear to hear is, is selfish. Did it just become the unspoken subject then in your relationship eventually? They never knew that Heather, for example, mm -hmm. was my lover. They thought she was a, a delightful friend. And indeed she is. Of course. Which brings me to another subject. Uh, you have been... Uh, I looked at your IMDb, you know, in, uh, Internet Movie Database, and it's long... It's like you've never stopped working. There may, in your mind, be periods, perhaps, I, I don't know, uh, but you've always worked. And then in the past 10 years or so, your stuff on The Real Marigold Hotels, your documentary series, turning up on Good Morning, you're, you're properly famous. Do you like it? Uh, yes, of course I do. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. I'm, I'm surprised by it. And I'm very flattered by it. I, I, it. That tender plant, my ego, is, 
enjoys is, it. Is massaged by it. Yes, I do. But I think it's very important just to remember that I'm an actress who is old and lucky to be working, has never been beautiful, but tries to deliver decent material. Good work. There's a fish coming our way. It is. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. Was it the real Marigold Hotel that was the first major sort of documentary thing that was offered your way? Yes, I, th I think that was the first prolonged exposure that the public had to me. And you didn't mind the process of being you rather than being someone else? No, it was lovely. I've travelled at someone else's expense. How lucky is that? And also being quite naked, um, and I don't mean that literally, I mean, emotionally so. I remember a particular episode, I think you were in Chengdu. And, and I you, cried at the pandas. You cried at the pandas. You didn't just cry, you sobbed. And I think someone behind the camera had to say, Miriam, why are you crying? You just went, they're just so beautiful. The thing that was so extraordinary was that the panda saw me. It was looking back. But it looked back at me. In my whole life, I would never have dreamt that I would look at a panda and it would look back. It brings us to another one, which is the one on fat, on weight. But you've, you've always been clear that you didn't like your body and you didn't like weight. Well, it's awful. How could anybody like my body? It's a nightmare. It's a but gorgeous body. No, it's, it's you. It's Miriam. It's me, and I am adorable. And that has to be stated right at the beginning. Can you agree, Francois? Very. Yeah. See, he's a great... This is, what, this is what we call perfect service. It is. Thank you very much. Ooh, that looks lovely. So some mixed Once greens. greens. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. Simple piece of sea bream. Have you, have you attempted to do things about it at various yes. times? Yes, I have. Um, and I failed. You have suggested that we're, we're, you know, kicked between the two posts of the fashion industry telling us to be thin and the food industry trying to shove stuff down our gullets. Yes, and it's true. But have you, you, it sounds to me like you haven't ever actually made peace with your own body. No, I haven't. And I don't know that I ever will. Does the, the business of writing your memoirs, has it been a pleasure? Bittersweet. Is it rich in the anecdotes that you seem to have more of than almost anybody I know? Please say yes. <laughs> it is a story, and other people come into the story, and other people are, you know, just as interesting as I am. My old school friends reminded me of things that I'd said and done. I don't think I've changed. I was always needing people, um, interested in knickers and, and naughty things. I said we weren't just going to talk about sex. It's quite hard with you, it has to be said. Oh, because, really? Yes, because, because it sort of comes round and you're so good at talking about it in a way that other people aren't. Well, it's mostly from memory, darling. <laughs> that was my question. Does it go away? One of the things I confess in the book is that I can't take my eyes off people's groins. And because I'm quite short... They're, they're much closer to you than they would be for most. frighteningly close. <laughs> I look to see which way is he hanging. You know, what, where is the, the telltale bulge? You see, this shows more of an interest in cocks than you let on. Well, you can't see much of a vagina. It does keep itself to itself. Well, it's very tidy. That's absolutely true. Mm. But there are other things to look at. Hmm. I'm not so... 
I'm not really a breast person unless they're really thrust. <laughs> That's a, some, some really good upholstery has been involved. Mm. I do remember another thing that happened when I when I was a kid. You, I, it may even have been at the same the same Sunday dinner when you looked, and I can't remember what it was a response to, but you said. To Claire, you see, the thing is, Claire, us lesbians use our hands an awful lot in bed. And I was very young, and I, I kind of thought, what are they doing? Giving each other rounds of applause. I mean, what's <laughs> that's true? That's quite a witty thing to say, actually, <laughs> because you can't just grind cunt on cunt forever. Well, that would get a bit samey after a while. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And I have never been fucked up the arse. I would like that made quite clear. We can leave that in for, for definite, just to get that on the record. Is it not in the book? When you say leave it in, you mean the remark. The remark. <laughs> the remark. Well, I'm only mildly surprised by that because you've always struck me as someone adventurous. I'm not at all. Not sexually adventurous. No? Not at all. When I first met Heather, who's got a great sense of humour... I said something like, you're not into anything weird, are you? And she said, oh, haven't you got any chains? And I was quite alarmed. And I said, no, I don't like that sort of thing. And she laughed, of course, and said, well, neither do I. Oh, well, that's always reassuring. But are you an arse person, then? Do you you like fucking girls up the arse? I have been married now for 34 years, and that's not been massively on the agenda. 34, gosh. No, I've been together. We've been together 34. He's been married to me now. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I've always wondered, you were in Yentl. Yes. How was that production? I've always been intrigued. Well, it was very exciting because because of Streisand. Streisand had written and directed it, hadn't Mm -hmm. she? And she, she is one of the great stars of our generation and of all generations she's an exceptional incredible personality and it was fun because we were in Czechoslovakia and um, and one of the not so fun things she did was she took us to Theresienstadt the concentration camp because she felt we ought to see it it was it wasn't compulsory it was voluntary in terms of what Yentl was about which is about a, a yeshiva boy is actually a girl and is fighting against the conventions of that form of orthodox jury. A little bit performative because it was a long time, set a long time before the Holocaust. Yes. She cared about it very much. And she, she's not an easy person, Barbara. I worked with her later. Not that long ago. What was that on? A thing called The Guilt Trip with Seth Rogen. All oh, right. Okay. I didn't like her so much that time. I mean, filming is fun. It's Do you like it, it being it, on set and the, the the process? Well, I actually like the chats in the trailer best. 
We had a description. I know you did, obviously, you did two of the Harry Potters. Obviously, you should have done all seven, but you did two of them. I should have done all seven. I don't know what the fuck was going on. You were in two of them. Um, we had Jason Isaacs as a guest. Uh, nice man. On here. And he said there was a big fight scene and it rained and rained and rained and rained. You couldn't shoot. Basically, the cream of British acting aristocracy sat in a marquee drinking tea and listening to Julie Walters tell stories. Is that roughly what it was yeah. like? Yeah, it is. I, I don't think I was present at that particular one. I mean, that's what I love about acting is the camaraderie and jokes and fun backstage. Also, Age of Innocence with Scorsese. What was it like being directed by... And you obviously got a BAFTA for that. Yes, that was kind of a career high, I suppose. Oh, it was wonderful. In America with wonderful actors... Um, Sean Phillips and um, Richard E. Grant was on that. Was Daniel Day-Lewis in that one as well? Yeah, he was the star. How was he to work with? Well, he's a bit standoffish. This is something I tell in the book, but he and Winona Ryder were clearly having something together because it continued in the makeup tent. And they were wrapped in each other, his tongue down her throat. And I said, are you two having an affair? And they broke apart and he said, Miriam, you can't ask questions like that. And I said, well, I don't really need to. <laughs> oh, well, I was expecting you to say, no, we're just staying in character. He's a very nice chap, actually. I liked him. I didn't like Winona Ryder. She and I didn't get on. But Michelle Pfeiffer is a doll. She's a darling. Do you stay in touch? No, I don't. I don't hang round celebrities. So with the, with the biography written, the autobiography written, what's next? There's quite a lot next, actually, because I'm going to do a documentary round Scotland with Alan Cumming. Oh, fantastic. Whom I met again. I knew him a long time ago, but I met again on the Graham Norton show. He asked me if I'd like to do a documentary with him. And uh, then after that, I'm going to do a film in Aberystwyth, another glamorous location. This is marvellous location. <laughs> in, uh, about cancer. And then after that, I hope uh, that Heather and I uh, will um, go to Tuscany. But my book is being published on the 16th of September. Well, and, and then... It hasn't finished, darling. I'm oh, sorry. Um, and then um, next year, early next year, I'm going back to Australia to do three more programmes about Australia. Of I which you are a citizen. I am. And I love Australia. I am delighted that we made this happen. Um, and you were able to come out to lunch with me, Miriam. Thank you. <laughs> I've had a wonderful time. Thank you. And if you want more stories like that, Miriam's memoir, This Much Is True, is available now from all good booksellers. Uh, we ate courtesy of the very lovely Maison Francois in Duke Street, St James's, London. Thank you very much to everyone there for having us. Uh, during the interview, Miriam talked lovingly about the great voice and dialect coach Joan Washington. Just a note to say that this episode was recorded before her tragic death. Our love and heartfelt condolences go out to her husband, Richard E. Grant, their daughter, Olivia, family and friends. 
Right, we have a whole host of wonderful lunches coming up, so if you haven't already, do follow us so that you can get the full buffet as soon as they are brought out. Plus, don't forget, the official Out to Lunch merch is on sale now. Aprons, mugs and tea towels, the latter with my face all over them, all available from the link in the show description. And one more exciting thing. We've launched a subscriber offering. For a mere £1.79 a month, you'll get Out to Lunch ad-free. Plus, we are also launching a special extra episode each month only for subscribers called Out to Lunch, the cheese course, in which I talk to a previous Out to Lunch guest about what they've been up to while we eat serious cheese. Find out how to uh, subscribe via the Apple Podcast app. And as ever, please do share this with literally everyone you know. Ask them to follow too, comment and give us five stars. You know it makes sense. It does help us to make more. Out to Lunch is a something else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The recording engineer was Paul Brogdon. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. Assistant producer are Anya Das and Bethany Hocken. The producer is Selena Reem and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Next time it's the award-winning screenwriter, playwright and director, it's David Hare. I was expected to win the Oscar for writing The Hours and I went to Hollywood and Steven Spielberg said to me, everybody knows that you've written the best film of the year. And as he said it, he looked at the ground. Which right? means he hadn't and voted thought, for you. Exactly. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I haven't got Steven Spielberg's vote then. <laughs>